You know, I've discovered something nobody can outsmart God. In uh, graduation down in uh, a southern state, the uh, mayor in a particular town told all of the uh, high schools and the, and the uh, junior highs and even the college in town that at any of the uh, commencement exercises, the word of God or Jesus could not be mentioned. If it was, he would have them arrested. And he even, you know, put policemen at every one of the schools. In uh, the college that was there, why, he was even invited to be able to be one of the speakers. And so, first of all, of course, the dean got up and he gave a really good speech challenging the students or what was ahead of them. And then the mayor got up and the mayor did a good job too, you know. And uh, then it was time for the Val Victorian to be able to give his speech. Now, most of you know the Val Victorian is the choice of the students and the faculty to best represent the class. So the young man got up, went up to the microphone, stood there for a few minutes. He went, <laughs> and somebody said, God bless you. And he went back and sat down. When they realized what had happened, he received a standing ovation for his speech. <laughs> no one can outsmart God, amen. <laughs> Let's bow our heads just for a moment before we open God's word. Father, thank you so much that you have given us the freedom to meet together and to study. But without your Holy Spirit, we can learn nothing. So please tonight, open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear, and may we feel your very presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this tonight, we're going to use the Bible, and the Bible only, as our textbook. When I first accepted the Lord as my Savior, my father-in-law made a comment to me one day, and he said, Jack, I'm a New Testament dispensationalist. And I looked at him and I said, and what does that mean, Dad? He said, well, you see, the Old Testament has all been fulfilled, and we're living under the New Testament. And uh, so that's what we need to concentrate on. He said, now, everybody ought to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so they know who Jesus is. But we're really living from Acts on in the Bible. And so you need to be able to really focus all of your learning and studying on the book of Acts on. I said, oh, so I need this part. He said, well, with this exception, stay out of the book of Revelation. All that will do is confuse you. So stay out of that book. You don't want to read that book at all. And so as a result of that, I told him, I said, so in other words, what you're telling me, this is the part of the Bible I need to concentrate on. He said, yes, absolutely. Now, I hadn't been a Christian long enough, but something bothered me about that. You know what I mean? So I looked into this part, and one of the texts I came up with was 2 Timothy 3.16. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Would somebody please tell me what does the word all mean? 
I think everything from Genesis through maps, amen? But if we actually think about it, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, what scriptures did he have? Questions put in the box, please. So, inspiration, what scriptures did they have? The Old Testament. Wow. So this part I'm supposed to keep is telling me the Old Testament was inspired by God. Amen? And so we need to be able to have the whole Bible. I found this one. It's over in 2 Peter. I want us to look it up because I'm going to read more than just the one verse. 2 Peter, we find it chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And here's where we get into a lot of different problems in a lot of different things and speakers. 2 Peter chapter 1. And it tells us, as we see here, verse 21 first. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Wow! Now when Peter wrote this letter, what scripture did he have? Don't everybody answer all at once. The Old Testament. So what's Peter telling me? All scripture, okay, came by the leading of God. Now back up and let's read verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is as of any private interpretation. Now this is where we get into lots of problems today. You know, how many of you um, read the billboard signs and some of the advertisements that, uh, you know, Pastor uh, Harold Campy had, that of course the world was coming to an end, you know, Judgment Day on May 21. Now, please, when I say this, I'm not speaking against Pastor Harold Campy. I believe Harold is trying to serve the Lord as he feels the Lord has called them. Are you with me? But I have discovered something in this book. Men and women of God make mistakes. Hello? That doesn't mean they're still not a man or woman of God. It just means they make mistakes. Now, in this particular case, obviously, Harold made a mistake. Hello? Okay? Now, when I first found out about it, and somebody asked me in a meeting earlier in the year about what did I think about what Pastor Campy said. I said, well, I know what to do with that particular piece of information. And they said, what's that? I said, you know that round circular file? I said, I put it in there, then we dump it in a bigger one, they come by and pick it up each week? Now, why would I say that? Because the Bible says, no man knows the day nor the hour. And if somebody's trying to tell you Jesus is coming tomorrow... File that particular information into the circular file and pray for the person. Amen? Now, Jesus did say we could know that it was near, even at the door. Amen? And so as we look at this, I want to tell you something. Don't miss Thursday night. You want to know just how soon Jesus is coming? You come Thursday night. I'm not going to give you a day or hour because nobody knows. But let me ask you this question. If you're sitting in your house and somebody pulls up in your driveway and they get out of their car and head for your front door, do you know you have company? Hello? Are they in the house yet? 
Thursday night, symbolically now, all from the Bible, I'm going to have Jesus pull up in your driveway, get out of the car, and head for your front door. I believe everything the Bible says, each and every one of us sitting in this room, barring sickness or injury, will live to see the rapture taking place. That's how close it is. But we need to be very careful with private interpretation. We need to let the Bible interpret itself. Jesus said, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide us into how much truth? All truth. truth. Not some. All. Amen? And as we look at this, the Bible even tells us, how do we study the Bible? Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10 says, Precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now that word precept means subject. If you're studying a subject, stick with the subject and study everything the Bible says about the subject. How many of you like to put puzzles together? You like puzzles? Have you ever gone down, you know, to Walmart and buy one of those puzzles? You know, you see the beautiful picture, you bring it home, you dump it out on the table and you go... I never saw so much blue in all my life, you know? And and it's very difficult to start, isn't it? But the more pieces you get together, the better it is and the easier it is to put those pictures together. It's the same way with the Bible. When you begin to study a subject and you take every piece and begin to put those pieces together, when you're finished, there's the beautiful picture that God wants you to see. Does that make sense? And so we want to stick with what the Bible tells us and study it correctly. Now, it's, my father-in-law said, stay out of the book of Revelation. All it'll do is confuse you. Hmm. You know, I want you to turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And when I first read this, I had an immediate problem. I think you'll understand why. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, blessed is he that does what? Man says, stay out of it, because it'll confuse you, and God says, do what? Who are you going to believe? Huh? I know it can't be that simple, right? You know, notice it says, hear, you know, (laughs) You know what I discovered that meant? Has your mama ever looked at you and said, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? Went right in this ear and out the other one, didn't it? What God's saying is when you read it, let some stick. Amen? That's what he's saying, all right? You know, I'm going to tell you something. When you start studying the Bible and you start listening to everybody that wants to give you advice, you're going to end up in trouble. It reminds me of a story that comes out of the hills of Kentucky. Now, in Kentucky, see, they're not like us out here. We don't call them, you know, the mountains and the valleys. We call them the mountains and the hollers. You understand? It's been hollered out. That's where it comes from. Well, it had been really hard times, and there was a family that lived way back up at the end of the holler. And uh, when they were had sold virtually everything they had that was worth anything, the only thing they had left was the mule. And so old father said at dinner table that night they were going to have to take the mule to town and sell him. Now everybody, all of the kids were so disappointed. Now why? 
See, this was not only the work mule, he was also a family pet. See, they'd raised him from a baby. And, and he used to follow the kids around all the time. That's how he got his name. They called him Jaime, you know. <laughs> and so the next morning, Dad and the oldest boy got up and they put a harness on him. And Dad let the boy get on Heine and he began to lead him into town. Now as they were going to town, there was two men out chopping wood. One said to the other one, do you believe that? There's that young whippersnapper riding and the old man's a-walking. Why, the old man ought to be riding and the kid ought to be walking. So dad heard him, see? So dad stopped. He had the boy get off. Dad got on. And the boy began to lead Heine into town. As they were going along, they passed two fellows going the other direction. And one said to the other one, <laughs> there's a couple of stupid individuals. One's riding and one's walking. Why, they could both be riding that mule. So dad heard, see? So dad stopped, had the boy get on, and they began to ride Heine into town. As they were riding along, they let pass two ladies out on the front porch shelling peas. One of them said to the other one, Do you believe that? Those two great big people riding that poor little old mule, why, somebody ought to call the SPCA. So dad heard. So they both got off. And they began to lead Heine on into town. Now, they passed two more guys, and he overheard them say, you know, I bet they're taking that mule to town. I bet they're going to want to sell him. It's a long walk to town. By the time that mule gets there, they're going to be so tuckered out, ain't nobody going to want to buy that mule. So dad heard, see? So dad and the boy got down underneath of them and lifted them up on their shoulders, and they began to carry him on into town. Now, I know you're wondering, what is the moral of this story, Jack? Listen, if you start listening to everybody, you could end up with your hiney mule on your shoulders. Amen? God says, read it. Man says, stay out of it. You know? I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 22. Now, it's hard to go much further in the Bible than that. All right? And we find here in verse 10, Revelation 22 and verse 10. Guess what the Bible says? And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecies of this book, for the time is at hand. What did he say? Seal not. And yet how many times have you ever had somebody tell you that Revelation is a sealed book? You know? <laughs> and yet the Bible says it isn't a sealed book. You need to be able to read and study it. You know... <laughs> It reminds me of a Colorado rancher. He had a cougar coming down, hunting his calves. And it began to kill his calves on one at a time. And he hunted that cougar and hunted that cougar and couldn't get a beat on him. Two years he hunted that cougar, could never get a beat on him. In the meantime, during that two years, that cougar got braver and braver and braver. And he would come down and kill his heifers. Well, one day that cougar came down and killed his prize bull. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about cougars, but when cougars kill something, they usually drag it off and bury it for later, see? But this bull weighed so much, that cat wasn't moving it. And so it began to eat on that bull right there. Now, I don't know if it got a bellyache or what, okay? But it began to howl. 
And the old rancher heard him, see? So the rancher grabbed his 30-30 and began to go towards what he heard the sound. And he sneaked up through the brush. And pretty soon he saw that cougar there. And he pulled up and bam! Shot that cougar dead right there. He walked over there where that cougar was laying beside that bull. And the old Colorado rancher said, you know, there's a moral here, Mr. Cougar. If you're full of bull, you ought to keep your mouth shut. Amen? (laughs) Is the book of Revelation really a sealed book? No, God says it isn't sealed. God says, read it, you'll get a blessing. It's not sealed. You need to know what's in there. And so that's why it's so important that we let the Bible interpret itself and go by what the Bible says. Now, you're still there in Revelation chapter 22. I want you to look at verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And then he says, surely I come quickly. And John says, Amen. So when we look at this, God says, don't add, don't subtract. Take it like it says. Now I'm going to give you a clue for the book of Revelation. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 236 of those verses are a direct quote from the rest of the Bible. What do you suppose the code book is? The Bible, absolutely. And so we need to let that understand so that we can study it and put the pieces together to know what it's saying. For example, I've even had people turn in a question and say, Jack, is this talking only about the book of Revelation? No, John was actually quoting from the book of Ecclesiastes where it says what God does, man should fear to add to it or take away from it. What was it talking about? The entire book. Amen? We don't have the opportunity or the privilege to take away. We have to let it say what it says. There is a promise. God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets unto his prophets. How much will God do? Absolutely nothing. You know, I'm amazed how many people won't leave the house until they've read their horoscope. You know? You want to know what's going on? It's in here. You want to know what the future holds? It's in here. God will do nothing except he reveal his secrets unto the prophets. Are we really living at the time of the rapture? I want to show you a story that helped me tremendously. We find it over in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. I'm okay, the world's all wrong. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream wherein his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. See, technically it was a nightmare. It woke him up. Are you with me? Then the king called all of the magicians, the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans for to show the king the dream so they came and stood before him. You know, that's not much different than it is today. You know, we got people in the White House seeking out some of these same people for advice. 
Hello. You know, not much has changed, has it? The king said, I've dreamed a dream, verse 3, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. And he spake unto the Chaldeans, and they said, O king, live forever. Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king said, it's gone. I can't remember a thing. (laughs) If you will not make known unto me the dream and the interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses will be made a dunghill. Now, just so we're on the same page, that's Texas for cow manure. Okay? But... If you'll show me the dream and the interpretation, you will receive of me gifts and great rewards, great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation. By the way, those are called incentives. Now, I know an incentive when I hear one. I spent 33 years in the insurance industry, and uh, I know an incentive. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but if I was given those two incentives, you know, or reward... I don't, even if I didn't know, I'd be to making up a whopper. How about you? Huh? I mean, come on, you know. But nobody can outsmart God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and so we discover that they answered and they said, Let the king tell the servants a dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered in verse 8 and he says, I know of a certainty you would just gain time because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree, for you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak to me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. See, the king wasn't stupid. The king knew if he gave these guys enough time, they'd get together and make up a whopper they could all agree on, see? And the king says, huh, if you really have all this power, tell me now. And, of course, they said, there is not a man on earth that can show you this, the king, the matter. Therefore, there is no lord or no king or ruler that would ask such a thing of a magician or an astrologer. It is a rare thing the king requires, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the God whose dwelling is not with flesh. And for this cause, the king was very angry and furious and commanded all of the wise men to be destroyed. Now, there were four young Hebrew boys in wise man training. And uh, when they came to them, they were going to get their heads cut off too. And Daniel said, what's going on? And so the captain of the guard explained it. He said, well, I wasn't there. Take me into the king." So the captain of the guard said, okay, and he takes Daniel into the king. Now I want you to notice in verse 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Now is Daniel nuts or what? The king just got done saying, I'm not giving you any time. And what does Daniel do? He goes back and asks for time. But guess what? The king gives him time. I told you nobody can outsmart God. What do you suppose Daniel and his three friends started doing? Praying, absolutely. They knew they were in trouble. And so they began to pray, asking God to show them the secret so they could explain it to him. And 
when he goes back into the king, he says, I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And so he goes in and he says, he makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be when. Now, was the king living in the latter days? Are we living in the latter days? So are we saying tonight, here's a nightmare that woke a king up that is almost 3,000 years ago affects us tonight? I'm going to tell you something. God only has to be wrong in one place. And we can throw this away. Do you know that? Whenever God does something, listen, he dots the I and crosses the T. And we can look at it and believe him because he tells the truth. And so when we look at this thing, Daniel tells him about the dream. And he tells him this great monstrous statue that he sees, a head of gold, and then after him there's going to be a country that will take over and run, and it's of silver, and then another world ruler of brass, and then another world ruler of iron, and then he says there will be no more world rulers. There will be a mixture of iron and clay. Some will be strong, some will be weak, but never again will they be one world ruler. And the king says, yeah, that's what I dreamed. He said, all right, let us explain to you what the interpretation is. He starts off, thou art this head of gold. God gives a dream of world history, and we know where it begins. It begins with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, after him, it's going to come another one. But Babylon ruled the world from 605 to 539 B.C. Then came the Medo-Persians, or as we know today, Iran and Iraq. And they began to rule the world. And they ruled from 539 to 331. Then after that, Greece came on the scene. A young man at age 25 years old, by the time he was 32, he had conquered the entire world. And Greece began to rule in 331 and ruled to 165. Then another world ruler came along. It was the longest world ruler. It was Rome. It was called the Iron Monarchy of Rome. It began to rule in 168 B.C. and it ruled to the middle of the 4th century until 476 A.D. 665 years it ruled the world. By the way, did you notice where the iron is? Where is it? And how many legs did the statue have? That's an accident. Huh? Have you ever heard of the Western and the Eastern Roman Empire? <laughs> I tell you, God dots the I's and crosses the T's. Okay? No question. And then we get down into the feet and the toes. And as we look at this, Daniel says the kingdom shall be divided. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partially strong and partially broken. There is a picture right out of our ancient history books. When Rome fell in the year of 476, guess how many divisions it went into? How many toes did the statue have? I know, that's another accident. 
exactly as what the statue said. And as we find then, you know, we discover something. Today, in our world society, what do we build something out of if we want it to last? Iron and clay. It's called concrete. Hello. And so they make the steel to put in the concrete so that it is strong. Amen? What is our world made of today? Virtually everything is concrete. God had it right smack on the dot of the eye, folks. And many, many people say this stuff, you know, will last forever. But we've seen earthquakes come along. We remember 9-11. They said those buildings were indestructible. They came down as if they were made of pitch. You know? And God says this is where we're going to be in the last days. Partially strong and partially weak. And in the days of these kings, God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Where are we at today? In the toes of the kingdom. Daniel says the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Tonight from this dream we can know we are living at the time of the rapture. Now, you know, we may have somebody who wants to come up to me or even put a question in the box and say, Jack, why are you using the word rapture? The word rapture isn't even in the Bible. <laughs> it depends on what version you're reading. Hello? <laughs> but I'm telling you, the word that says they are caught up could just as easily be translated they are raptured up. Hello? Don't get caught up in, in, in words, folks. Make sure you have the whole Bible to stand on, okay? We're going to study it out. How many of you read the text that was on the brochure? It was there five times in a row. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. What did it say? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Listen, I know there's a teaching out there, once saved, always saved, and I'm not going to get into that. But I'm going to tell you, when the Bible says, my people, would you say they would, God would consider them saved? Hello? But he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Anybody here in this room think you've got the brain power of an angel? Hmm? I'm glad you do, brother. I'm going to tell you something. Where did all of this start? In heaven. Satan's deceptions were so strong. He was able not just to deceive a angel. He deceived one third of the angel. And the tricks and the deceptions he has prepared for us in these last days. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Without this and the Holy Spirit, you will be deceived. I didn't stutter. I didn't say maybe. I said you will be. It's that simple. You need to know what this Bible is and what it's about. And so we're going to be studying this subject this week. We're going to make perfect sense out of it. Tomorrow night, you know, the seven years of tribulation, does it really come from the scriptures? Is there anything that we can be able to really anchor what we believe on it? 
Then, of course, on Wednesday night, and by the way, I only have one meeting on Wednesday night. When I come to town, pastors will let me get away with one Wednesday night, but they won't let me get away with any more than one Wednesday night, okay? But this Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about the rapture itself. How does it actually take place? Is it a secret? Is it all of a sudden people gone and disappeared? What's going to really happen? We'll study it. On Thursday night, what about the 1,000 years of peace? Many, many churches are out there teaching that Christ is going to come and rule for 1,000 years on this earth. Is it really true? And by the way, don't forget, (laughs) Thursday night, I'm going to have Jesus pull up in your driveway, get out of the car, and head for your front door, symbolically. Then, of course, on Friday night, who is the Antichrist? Lots of teaching out there. I want to tell you, by the way, it's not Nicholas Carpathian. Now, those of you that's read the books or that's watched the video, you know what I'm talking about. But it's not Nicholas Carpathian, okay? I'm going to tell you on Friday night, this will really amaze you. On Friday night when we start this subject, I'm going to quote from several of mainline Christian churches on who they identify the Antichrist as. We're going to start with the largest church, the Catholic Church. You're going to be amazed. The Catholic Church and the Blessed Mother has identified who the Antichrist is. You know, and they agree with the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians, and all of them agree. Now, my question is this. As much as I respect these great theologians, Do they agree with this? My question is this. What says the Blessed Bible? The teachings of men so often mislead me. What says the Bible to me? So we're going to find out if if who the churches identify this Antichrist as, does it really agree with the Bible? So you'll be amazed on that night. No guessing, no speculation. You leave here knowing And if anybody asks you in the future, you can tell them. Okay? And we'll get it all from the Bible. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You need to know what this is saying. Now, I changed here this last year, my opening night, because I discovered something. Why is it that Many of our children don't even go to church anymore. Why is it so hard for our grandchildren to even get involved in religion? It's because we have a complete cultural misunderstanding of God. And many of us do have a misunderstanding of God. When we think of Bible says God is love, right? He sent his son to save us. But many, many people say, well, really, Jesus is the loving one. God the Father is sitting up there just waiting for you to step out of line so he can get you. You know, that's the furthest from the truth. God so loved the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so when we look at this, there's a misunderstanding in relationship to it. Ah. How many of you believe God is in complete control? 
I respectfully disagree with you. Now, just I know you're thinking, uh-oh, we need to get out of here right now. This guy's preaching heresy. I'm going to tell you something. On this earth, God is not in complete control. Okay? Why do I say that? Explain to me, if God is a God of love, and he is in complete control, how do you explain child molestation? I'd like an answer, please. Huh? Some of you have been studying. Now, the same way, how do we know if God is really a God of love, how do we explain a woman being raped? How do we explain murder? How do we explain these things? Have you ever had somebody say, well, you don't really understand right now, but you can't see all of the good, but one of these days you're going to? Let me tell you, that's scary if you think about it. If God is the one that orchestrates these things, and if good can really come out of evil, you know, heaven's going to be a scary place, folks. Hello? And isn't that where all of us want to go? There has to be an answer. And many of our young people today want absolutely nothing to do with God because if that's the kind of God you serve, then He's not loving and we want nothing to do with Him. And you know what's sad? This is being predicated in our Christian cultural society. And we wonder why we have so many young people that are turning to secularism that want nothing to do with God. It's because there's a misunderstanding. And we need to understand, if he loves me, why did he allow this to happen to me? Think about it, folks. A friend of mine was preaching one night and he was talking about the love of God. A lady got up from the back, come right up to the front of him, pointed her finger right smack in his face and said, if God really is a God of love, then I want you to tell me how he could let my pastor father molest me for years. Don't tell me he loves, that God loves me. What are you going to do with that one, folks? You know? A young girl came up, she was 15 years of age, and she says, you know, guess what? I was raped this last year. How is God in control with that? You know, when we think about it, we're going to see, why did he allow me to be molested? Never once did he intervene or answer my prayers. You know, one day a young girl went to her Sunday school teacher And the girl asked the Sunday school teacher, how come God doesn't always answer our prayers? And the Sunday school teacher, without asking what the little girl was praying about, said, well, when you pray, you must be very specific with God. And she said, oh. So she went home and she prayed to God. She gave him specific instructions how to find her house. She gave him specific instructions on where the key was kept so he could come in the door. She told him to come down the hall and to her bedroom and where she would be at where her father and brothers would be molesting her. 
she continued to be molested until she left home when she was 14 years of age. You begin to see what's happening, folks. You begin to understand. Maybe some of you in this room have even had, you know, some experience and you've wondered, how can we really say God is a God of love? Folks, we need to understand what the Bible is telling us. If he loves me so much and he is in complete control, why doesn't he stop some of the things and allow others to happen? Don't tell me it was for my own good and I'll understand someday. You ever tried to do that, especially if you ever counseled somebody? You know, and yet I've heard pastors say this. The very question is based upon an unbiblical yet cultural assumption. What's that? If God had wanted to prevent something, he could have, but since he didn't, he must have wanted it to happen. For your own good, for the greater good. And yet as we see it, this paradigm of thinking, folks, has caused so many of our young people It leads us to a way of thinking that enshrouds us and our hearts in darkness, the type of being God really is and how he feels about us. It leads us to four lies. Four what? Lies. What are those lies? Everything happens for a divine reason. Lie number one. Number two, evil happens for a greater good. Number three, in evil, God is up to something that is for our higher good. And number four, the most dangerous lie of all, there is no such thing as evil. And I'll tell you, many of our young people today are right there. There has to be yin if there's a yang. There is no such thing as evil. And many of our young people, that's exactly where they're at. Satan has been so successful at destroying the image of God that the majority of the world today are not Christian. Did you know that? We call ourselves a Christian nation. Did you know that? You don't believe me? Look on your money. It said so. But I'm going to tell you something. In the largest country in the entire world that has the most Christians, registered Christians in it, would you like to know how many times they go to church? Would you like to guess when? Easter. Now if they're really church in it, they go to church two times a year, and what day do you think they go on then? And they call themselves Christians. You know, my Bible says Jesus had a habit of going to church every week. (laughs) Hello? If you don't believe that, go ask your pastor. His hardest job, or her hardest job, is getting people convinced they need to come to church every week. And we discover that these lies are bringing things about. Satan has distorted God so bad that most of the world today want nothing to do with your Christian God including our young people. We wonder why so many of them have turned to to pleasure or to drugs or whatever. It's because they feel there's no, it doesn't matter. And we've done it. Is God in control? Well, let's answer it this way. Jesus taught us to pray. Now, who's teaching us to pray? Jesus. Would you say that's uh, orders from headquarters? 
Okay. And when we look at this, he says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? So where is he will being done? In heaven. Where is his will not being done? On earth. And Jesus says we need to pray that his will would be done here as it is done in heaven. Amen? Now, I don't know how you could make it any plainer than that. As we look at it, as it is done in heaven, may it be done here on earth. That means that his will isn't always being done. Who's in control? (laughs) Well, one of you said it earlier. We are. We can't even blame Satan. When God created us, God's love is other-centeredness. Now that's hard for us to understand. But God didn't create us to worship Him. God created us to share His creative power. And the only way you can really love somebody is by giving them the choice not to love you. He created them as free moral agents with the right to choose. As we look at this, listen, we can choose option A or option B. I want you to know this. Whether you choose option A or option B, God loves you just as much. Did you know that? God will do everything in his power to get you to choose option A. But he'll never force you. And even if you choose option B... He still loves you just as much. Jesus still came and died for you. He tries to get you to select option B. He, I mean option A. He even asks you to please just say forgive me and I will. God loves you. He's a God of love. Okay? And we need to understand this. And so as we look at this in option A. Suppose with my wife. I tell you I love her very much. I have everything she does scheduled, you know. I have scheduled when she gets up, what time she takes her showers, what she's going to wear, what she will fix for breakfast, uh, you know, how and what time she will be able to clean the house, and uh, what time she can go shopping. I even schedule her bathroom break. Would you say I'm the most loving husband in the world? No, what you would say is I'm a control freak. Amen? Isn't that what you'd say? Uh, You're nothing but a control freak. That's all you are. (laughs) I hope you're getting the point. Suppose I had the ability and the smartness, I could create a computer chip that is so small that I could implant it behind the ear of any woman and she would love me. Now, does she really love me? What's making her love me? Oh, no. Computer chip's only a tool. What's making her love me? I am, that's right. I created the computer chip, amen? So you see, if you program someone to love you, then do they really love you? No. And God says, if you love me, I love you. I created you with a free right to choose. 
Some people say when they think about this, they say, wow, that, that's a little over, over, uh, uh, overbearing on the mind. I'm not sure I can get my mind around that. That's a little far out. Let me tell you, you want to know what's far out? There's almost 7 billion people on the face of this earth and each one has a free will to choose. That's scary. And as we find, sometimes someone's choice will also affect you. We're in a war, do you know that? And whether we like it or not, there are casualties of war. You know, when someone does some of these things, is it God? No. The Bible says an enemy has done this. We don't want to blame it on God. We blame it on the enemy. Well, who is the enemy? Hello? Have you ever had somebody say, the devil made me do it? You, know, remember, you remember Flip Wilson and Rat program? Devil. No, he didn't. You did it because you wanted to. Now, he might have enticed you, but you're the one that made the decision to do it. And so as we begin to understand and see this, freedom or control, which is it? Does God really love us with a, a, with a other-centeredness love, or is he really in control? I believe all the tragedies can fit into one of three categories. Number one, things God can prevent and does. Number two, things God can prevent but doesn't, these being minor tragedies which help us build character. But there are other atrocities that it would be blasphemous to be able to put these into the first two categories. So there has to be a third category that does not slander God's character by even hinting he approves of these evil acts. What's the third one? Thing God wants to prevent but can't because he's granted freedom. Now, I know you've got to wrap your mind around that one. But I'm telling you, one lady came up to me and she says, well, I just don't understand. Why doesn't God just, you know, stop all child molestation? I said, well, don't you think he ought to also stop all rapes, murders, and robberies? She said, yes, of course. I said, so in other words, what you're really saying is God should just plain prevent all sin." Now, on that one, she didn't come back with a yes real fast. She did say, I wished he would. You understand there is a very delicate line between control and freedom. A very, very delicate line, folks. God either gives us freedom or he is controlling. I believe God gives us freedom. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we look at this, you know, wherever he went, he healed all of or oppressed by the devil. He would leave the entire town. There would be nobody sick or hurt. Except for one place. Did you know where that place was? His hometown. In his hometown, he couldn't do miracles there. You know why? Because of their unbelief. As we look at it, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
He says, it is my Father living in me who is doing the work. He said, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So who does Jesus say is doing the work? God the Father is doing the work. And so we begin to see it. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God is of the bosom of the Father. He has explained them. And Jesus says, who then has done these things? An enemy has done them. Not God. Satan wants you to have a distorted view of God. God says, I will do all I can to get you to choose option A. And I will prevent everything I can. But even if you choose option B, I will still love you. I will still want you to choose option A and be my son and daughter. But I will not force you or take away any of your freedom. God allows us free choice. When I think about this subject, I think of a song. Because we're talking about the concepts of Christ tonight. And uh, somebody might say, well, I'll bet I know what song that is, Brother Jack. That's one of those songs that only the best voices can sing and only those uh, uh, instruments that can play with the most, you know, uh, educated uh, musicians. You know, a song that kind of goes, I come before the throne of grace and throw myself up upon my face. I know that I am but a worm, so step on me, God, and watch me squirm. That's what a lot of people have the concept of God, especially our young people, folks. But when I think of the concepts of Christ, and I want to explain them. I think of another song that has far more meaning than that. That goes kind of like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Heavenly Father, tonight... As we have looked into your word and we find that we are living at the time of the rapture. When you're coming back to take those out of here that have chosen option A because of your love and the love that Jesus gave us. Please give us a correct understanding of you, Father. Remind us that real Bible study is only to get to know you. And Jesus told us to know you and his son is eternal life. So help us as we study to learn more about you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.